Thank you, Don. Good, mor- uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm the pastor of Bethany North. Uh, I don't often get a chance to be with you here at Greenlake. It's a great honor. Richard asked me this evening uh, to be here and, and to begin this new series, Time to Move, uh, looking at the book of Acts. And tonight we're going to be looking at really the first eight verses of Acts 1, which I believe contains almost a thesis for, for the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels. And it's a, it's a great message as we start Uh, as we start kind of post-resurrection Sunday, our first Sunday after Easter. Let me just say this. Some of us, uh, if you've been following Christ for a while, uh, you've kind of heard this one before as far as Acts 1 and and Jesus, what he says. It's very easy to let this message become familiar. And some of us in the room are like, man, I'm I'm just brand new. Uh, You know, I came last week Easter, and I'm here just to check check it out again. And we're under one tent tonight. You all are here for a reason tonight. And may the Lord bless and encourage you, the teaching of his word, into your journey, your story of faith that God is writing in your life. Uh, would you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for moments to connect in fellowship with you. We pray, Lord, that you would open the word to us and open our eyes and ears and mostly our hearts as you continue to teach us what it looks like to follow you. In your great name we pray. Amen. Uh, your sermon title tonight for Acts 1 is, Are We There Yet? And uh, this spring, this last spring, through the generosity of some people in the church, I was able to take a road trip around America with my four kids. I have four kids, wife, been married 17-ish years, and we all lived in an RV for like three and a half weeks. I know it sounds like a bad 80s movie, but we, we set out from a Young Life camp in Central Oregon where we were speaking, and the first stop was the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. Sounds great, right? Beautiful, North Rim, higher elevation, South Rim, only open in the summer, gorgeous, gorgeous. But from Central Oregon, a very long way. And so we're like 30 minutes on the road, and we still have Eastern Oregon and Salt Lake City and all of Utah and into North. Like, we've got a long way to go. And the kids start this, are we there yet? You know, and I'm like driving, like, are we there yet? You know, and I'm like patient for a little while, like, are we there? Shut up! You know, and no, I didn't really say that, but like, you know, they kept saying, are we there yet? You know, and, and I just said to them, like, You'll know when we get there. There's going to be a giant hole in the ground, and everyone's going to be standing there looking at it, and yeah, you can't miss it. It's amazing. But if you miss from here to there, you will have missed so much great country and towns and arches and beautiful places in southern Utah. I said, don't miss it. And so they sat by the big, you know, kind of plate glass window in the back of the RV, just kind of watching America unfold. Are we there yet? No, we're not. And as God's people here post-Easter, yes, we had the entirety of the gospel story that we got to celebrate last week. You know, you see in your bulletin, 5,000 people all over camp. Amazing, right? It's the whole story. Christ came, died, came alive for us to have new life. It's the whole story. And yet, Acts tells part two. Acts says that that we have to move into the revelation of who God is for us to understand the fullness of relationship. We're called to go. And as we go, we'll be moved and we'll understand more of Christ's fullness in our life. And I'll just say at the outset, you're like, this doesn't sound good. Like this, like what do they want now? Like is this money? Are we like moving camp? Like I don't want anything from you tonight other than for you to encounter the risen Lord in more powerful ways. Deal? 
So the message this evening title, Are We There Yet? We're going to look at the first eight verses of Acts and really kind of focus on what I believe is almost a thesis for the New Testament. In verse 8, where Jesus says, you'll receive, you'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you should be my witnesses, says Jesus, both in Jerusalem, where they were at, and in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so tonight, our big idea, and it's printed at the top of your bulletin, is that our lives, as we're receptive to the saving work of Christ and the presence of the Spirit in our lives, our lives become this receptive ground where then Christ promises of potential and purpose and plan become manifest in our lives. It's, it's there in Acts 1.8. And it's here tonight in the preaching of his word. Let me, let me say one last thing before we jump into first point. It's real tempting to read Acts merely as history, which it was. But if we read it just as history, we're going to miss the journey. It was history of what the Spirit did then. But it's also a blueprint for us to live in the fullness of revelation of being believers of Jesus Christ. It's not meant to be history alone. It's meant to be compelling us to understand more about our journey, our journey of faith. So let's begin. A first point of outline, there's this promise in Acts 1, a promise of potential. Uh, the first account, this is, we have our Bibles open, our apps, we're studying the Bible together. That's what we're doing with, when, we're, when we're preaching the Word. We just want to understand the fullness of God's revelation and Scripture in our lives. So let me read to you the first six verses here as we look at this potential piece. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Comma, we'll pause there. Acts is written by Luke. Luke, who authored the book of Luke. It's interesting, verse 1, the first account, Luke says, to Theophilus, who literally in Greek, Theophilus means beloved by God or beloved of God. And Theophilus, most scholars said, paid Luke some money to write down the gospel. It's an oral society. We understand that. The gospels, Acts, these weren't written down until decades after Christ descended because they just story told in their culture. They just told Jesus' story sitting around the fire. But, but Theophilus has asked Luke to write it down. And, and Jesus, Luke says here, the first account I composed about what Jesus began to do. The, the Acts of the Apostles is Luke part two. Yeah, we had the fullness of all that Christ did in, in the book of Luke. But it's really the beginning. Because Christ calls his people to then go on mission. And so Acts is really kind of Luke part two. I continue on. Uh, after Jesus by the Spirit had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, verse three, to these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Couple of things there as we studied the Bible together. Luke was a doctor and very precise and so this language here, these, the, these, little, these little pieces of you know, convincing proofs and 40 days and appearing to them. 1 Corinthians says that Jesus appeared to almost, almost 500 people. So Luke wants those details not to be lost on us. He's saying, I'm not winging this. Like we saw something and I'm writing it down. And that's a huge piece of our witness, that we're going to speak about witness tonight. If we don't, if we don't see something, we can't say something. And someone else way smarter than me said it, and I just liked how it sounded. Because it's true. And as the church, we've spent a lot of time, you know, trying to say something by our programs, being attractional, by the stuff we're trying to do, by how we vote, by our bumper stickers. And that stuff matters. But if we don't see something, we'll have nothing to talk about. 
So what Luke is saying here, through the words of Jesus, is I want you to know that a bunch of people really saw him. This really happened. The resurrection we celebrated last weekend, it happened and it changed history. And then verse 4, gathering them together, Jesus commanded them, the disciples, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus gives his disciples, his best friends, he gives them this promise of potential. And it's quite amazing because what he's talking about there in verse 5 is a promise that actually gets spoken of in Luke 24, where Jesus says, I will promise to leave my spirit with you. You know, Father God, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, the Godhead, it's all here. And the fact that Luke is saying now the spirit is for you and you and you and you, is, it's mind-blowing actually. Because in the book of Luke, the Spirit, if you remember, the Spirit of God was for who? It was for Jesus. So in Luke 1, the angel comes to Mary and says, the Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and you'll give birth to a son. Luke 3, Jesus experiences the Spirit. He gets baptized. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then the voice of God, what does the voice of God say? Because God doesn't speak to us in accusation or shame or self-condemnation. We've got to move out of the shame cave right? Because that's not how your God talks to you. And it's okay to feel guilt if we're in places where we're far from the love of God. But in, in Luke 3, the Spirit of God comes and says, you're my son, whom I'm well proud. And I'll just, in a brief aside, because you kind of you got me going on that, because that's really its own message. If there's one thing we leave here tonight, like we got to hear that. You're the son, you're the daughter of a God who loves you. And I recognize that cl- that it clouds over a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of performance issues and family origin. But we have to be hearing the voice of God in our life. You're my son. Period. Gift of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, is our, our continuing unfolding of our relationship with him a process and not just an event? Sure it is. That's why we don't do a ton of altar calls at Bethany, not because we don't want people to begin their journey, but for too long, the church just focuses on the event instead of the process of sanctification. But if we don't understand that the revelation of God calls us sons and daughters, we're, we're, miss, we're missing the point. We're beloved people. Okay? And I understand God's not done with you yet, and we're still works in progress. But if you hear one thing this evening, maybe you need to hear, you're the beloved God's got a plan for you, even this evening, as sons and daughters. And then continuing the Spirit study in the book of Luke, remember Luke 4, it's the Spirit that leads Jesus out into the temptation narrative. And it's the Spirit, in verse 18 of chapter 4, the Spirit leads Jesus into his public ministry. So now in Acts, when Jesus says, I'm going I'm to give you the Spirit, it's for you, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit, this would have blown the minds of the disciples. This is a really, really big deal. Jesus says, you have this potential to receive this amazing power. And the difference between power and potential is just how it's used. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's real power in, in the Spirit, but it's a potential. And I'm not saying, I'm not mixing words from being beloved. I'm not saying it's conditional, but there is this piece of Acts 1 that says, you've got to activate it. You've got to step into the fullness of the call of God in your life to understand the fullness of the revelation, not to earn it. I know we've preached that for a very long time. We're not out here earning grace. 
But something is happening in Luke, in Acts 1 rather, where Jesus is saying, as you go and you receive the Spirit, stuff gets activated. And anyone in the room that's done mission trips, that's done partnerships in other parts of the world, you get it, right? You, you went to, to go, you went to kind of be the good one, and, and what happened? You were the blessed one, am I right? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods, you experienced it too. You did youth ministry, or you were a young life leader. I mean, you spent some time, you did some stuff, but when you look back, who changed the most? You did, didn't you? God changed your heart in the stepping out. And there's this potential for real power. The Greek word there for power is, is the same root for dynamite. It's dynamis. So in Greek, you'll receive this dynamis, this real power that <laughs> explodes, right? But it's, it's powerful. If we're going to do God's work in the world, we're going to need to... We're going to need some power. We're going to need to experience it. Or else we're going to be tired and lonely and frustrated. We go, not out of our own strength or out of our own flesh. We go only as recipients of great power that comes from the Spirit and the Spirit alone. That's what Jesus was talking about in, in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus. That your potential as a Christ follower is that you have to receive this, this spiritual birth. So Nicodemus, a spiritual leader in John 3, a Pharisee, knows the Bible inside and out, and Jesus is blowing his mind. Jesus says, you'll need two births. You'll need a water birth and a spirit birth. And every one of us in the room, no matter what kind of mother you have, what kind of relationship, some of you are here tonight with your mom, others are like, man, I haven't seen my mom in years. It doesn't matter. All of us experienced water birth. That's just something we share in commonalities, makes us human. But Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must also be born again. By spiritual birth. And I recognize that language, born again, spirit, it carries a ton of, of baggage with it. Are we going to talk about pneumatology? Are we going to talk about glossocilia? Are we going to talk about spiritual gifts? What we're going to talk about tonight is that every one of us has been promised this potential to receive the spirit. And that the spirit in us gives us a power to enter into a new identity and a plan for witnessing to Christ. That's all we can focus on tonight. We'll talk more about Pentecost and, and the Spirit through the series. But that's what Jesus is saying. You have this potential, Nicodemus, but you must activate it. You must be born again. And so two quick pieces I want you to see here as we look at the first five verses of Acts 1. This first is this. We can worship while we wait. We can worship while we wait. Verse 4, Jesus says, what does he say? Wait for what the Father has promised. And friends, we don't wait well, do we? We don't wait well. And not just wait like, oh, I can suffer through this, you know, this term or until I graduate, until I get into my major. No, that we can actually worship while I wait. Jesus tells his best friends, wait for it. The power is not yours to earn. The power will be given to you. But you can worship while you wait. We don't do that well. We never have. In the book of Exodus, I think it's 13 or 14, the nation of Israel, they cry, you know, God parts Parts the Red Sea, they walk through it, their sandals are still wet. They saw amazing things. They, I mean, they saw these miracles, but it wasn't sustaining enough. Because what happens when they had to wait for Moses in Exodus 33? He goes up on the mountain, he's taken a little while, and they fashion a little calf and worship him in the, in the camp. And we can say, that's, that's crazy. Who worships little golden calves anyway, but... It's hard to worship while we wait, right? In our singleness, waiting to not be single. Stuff going on with family of origin. I don't want to wait through this, God. Why is it taking so long? 
waiting to figure out what we're going to do with our lives, waiting to figure out why my parents have issues with me or I have issues with my... I mean, it's not easy to worship while we wait, but the, the scriptures say that we need to wait for the power that comes, not from us, but from God. And while we wait, we can worship. The second piece I want you to see here at the beginning of Acts is, is what really will we do? We'll do really powerful things in the name of God. When we go in the spirit and not in the flesh, we can do powerful things as his people. When you look about the narrative of the church, I know there's a ton of things the church has done wrong, but sometimes it's refreshing to be like, we haven't, it hasn't been all bad news. The church has done amazing things in the history of humanity. We can do powerful things. John 14, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They'll do even greater things because I am going to the Father. That's mind-blowing. We'll do more powerful things than Jesus, more dynamous things. That's incredible. But be warned, because every one of us, by our very human nature, by our sin nature, we have a, we have a lust for power. And that happens in, in school, wanting to get a grade more than somebody else. It happens, it happens to pastors. Sometimes worse of all, we want to grow our ministries. Oh, but it's for God, is it? Or is there a lot of your own pride mixed in? And our athletic endeavors and whatever else, it's, power is great, but whose, whose power does it testify to? Remember the, the disciples walking with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, when the end comes, can, can I be seated on your left and right? What did Jesus say to that kind of power? He says, get behind me, Satan. Or how about Satan himself in the temptation narratives? He takes Jesus on top of the temple. And what does he promise? Power. Jesus, the whole world can be yours. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to worship God and not myself. So when we pursue opportunities for prestige and power, they're not bad in themselves at all. But they need to be giving worship to God himself and not be putting ourselves in the middle of the story. It's very hard to do, very challenging. But it's the root of what Christ is telling us here. We'll receive power. Verse 7, the authority is God and not ours. But, verse 8, a very powerful conjunction. But we have power in Jesus' name. And that's really the reality, that if you're already a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He lives in you. It's not about your power, it's about God. And the Spirit living in you will create opportunities for you to understand His fullness by being on mission, being in relationship. My wife and I lived in Spokane when we were dating and before we got married. And uh, My wife was a young life leader. And there's a group of kids that were going to camp that summer. She was a new leader, and they were trying to, you know, kind of divvy out the kids. You know, and like the first batch of kids, like the future leader kids came up, and, you know, one of the leaders like, I'll take those kids. They're good kids, you know. And so, like, that leader's off with, like, super leadership kids, you know. And then the next group of kids, like all the jock kids with Letterman Jags, another leader's like, I'll take those children. That's fantastic, you know. And then there's this remaining group of girls just... They were the bottom of the barrel kids. And I could say that now because I love those girls. This was 20 years ago. And my wife said, God, if you're calling me to be their leader, I will do it. The first night at camp, she Heather said, I, I was scared they were going to hurt me. They were, they were mean. They were tough. The mascara was like put on with a butter knife. They had this edge to them. They didn't want to be there. But God kept doing this work in their hearts. And Heather just said, you know, Spirit, if you want me to be their leader, you want me, I'll just, I'll be in relationship with them 20 years ago. 
And God continues to move in those girls' lives. Now, as their mothers and their relationships, very powerful. The Spirit will open up opportunities for you to, to, to be a blessing and to be on mission. Very powerful. We've got to receive the potential as Christ's followers. The second piece I, I need you to look at here is this, that there's a promise of purpose. There's a promise of purpose as we receive the real, the, the real life of Christ inside of us and, and the life of the Spirit who continues to live on in, in us. In verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, you'll receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be it's an indicative verb tense, not imperative. There's nothing conditional about it. Jesus just saying, this is going to happen, folks. Get ready. You shall be my witnesses. And the Greek word there is very helpful. It's martyria, which means to give a testimony of, to give witness of, martyria, that we get the English word martyr. And so for the first 300 years when Christians were persecuted until Constantine took power of the empire and say what? 3.30 or something, to, for the, someone to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, it cost them their life. They were called martyrs because they were witnesses. And so Jesus says here that the purpose of a believer is they will be witnesses. Now, it's super incredible here because witness, as Jesus gives us this martyria, it's a noun in the Greek language, not a verb. I don't know, maybe some of you kind of flunked out of high school English. I used to teach high school English, and I still am horrible at grammar. But, like, this matters a great deal. Go with me. Martyria is a noun. A noun. A noun is a person, place, thing, or idea. It's, it's a thing. And Jesus says, you are a witness. It's not a verb. Remember, a verb is an action word, a doing word. And we've taught it wrong. We said, if you go hand out pieces of paper to your neighbors, you'll be doing witness. And you're like... Uh-uh, that makes me squeamish. And Jesus is saying, no, you will be a noun. This is who you are. You are a witness. This is who I've made you to be. We literally become then like the dwelling place of the Lord. And that is amazing. It's totally provocative in the first century, and we still don't fully understand it. Because these disciples in the first century, they understood God to dwell in the temple. And the temple was in a place, a place in Jerusalem with walls all around it and, you know, a big old temple thing around. And that's where God lived. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has this vision. Behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And while the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. So the old covenant in the Old Testament was that the old spirit would live in an old building. And like a museum, we could go and visit it sometime. And Jesus is like, no, this is going to be different. The new covenant, Jesus says, is you become the temple. Your life becomes noun witness. So if you believe in Jesus and you've entered into a saving relationship with him, and I recognize life is still messy, but trust it, friends. You've got the spirit in you, and you are the temple. You are the place where the spirit resides. And so by its very nature, temple can be a place for others to see the presence of God in you. That's crazy. 
Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Be hearing all those building metaphors. Paul's doing this on purpose. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so by its very nature, your identity is your testimony. And friends, your life speaks. Your life speaks. And you're like, no, I'm just a grad student. Well, I don't. I'm not here tonight. Someone brought me. Or I'm such, No, your life speaks. Like you don't even realize probably the way in which the world is already watching you. Why on the nicest night of the year would that crazy person get in their car and go to church? The world is watching you. Your life speaks. And that's not a guilt trip. It should be an opportunity. <laughs> We're not going to ask you to go door to door in Green, in Green Lake tonight. Rest, you know, rest easy. But Christ is saying you're the temple, you're the resting place, and your life speaks of a witness. This has very big, this, you know, very compelling individually and collectively. First, individually. God is at work of, of restoration and transformation. And so for people like Peter, he says, Simon, you were Simon, now you're Peter, the rock. Like, I, I want to do that work in your lives individually. If we don't see something, we can't say something. We have to be changed. We have to experience it. We have to understand the fullness of the Spirit. And you're like, I'm still figuring things out, and that's okay. But understand that individually, as a believer in God, your life matters a great deal. But also, collectively, the fellowship of the saints, we're going to be studying the Acts of the Apostles. Really, the book was misnamed. It should be the Acts of the Spirit. Because the whole book is about what the Spirit is doing in the lives of ordinary people. And ordinary people being transformed in community to see God do these amazing things. Because as a community, we're essential to Christ's plan. So we are the church. We are the fellowship that speaks of what we believe in. We don't go to church, we are the church. One of the Greek words for church is koinonia, which means fellowship. It also means communion. It's a very nuanced word used all over in the Bible. We're going to see it for the first time in Acts 2. Is the first time we get koinonia. It means fellowship. And the fellowship happens when we understand the fullness of the revelation isn't just for me and my life and to kind of squirrel it away in my private devotions and my private prayer life. No, Christ is calling us to understand that we bear witness in our fellowship, in our relationship. First Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter write, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. How encouraging is that? And, and once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. One scholar, this, this man, Daryl Guter from Princeton, he says this, there's no martyria, no witness in the world apart from koinonia, which is our fellowship. He said, there's no martyria in the world apart from koinonia. And for that reason, the koinonia, the fellowship of his people, exists to render witness in the world. The community of Christ is not an end in itself, but a part of God's accomplishment of his saving purposes. 
There's no martyria without koinonia. God has designed us to go hand in hand. And so we're going to be studying in the Time to Move series all these different things God did in the church. And it should be really encouraging for us as God's people. We need some good news about what the church is up to. But Guder also warns this. He says, the koinonia becomes, uh, I'm sorry, he says there's a warning we failed to live into it. He says, if the koinonia, the fellowship, becomes self-centered and spiritually arrogant and it forgets or underemphasizes that its purpose is martyria, to bear witness to Christ, if the koinonia forgets that, he says, we've lost everything. And our fellowship and our witness is, is to be and do and say the good news in people's lives. Because, friends, listen to this. Before people listen to what we say, they'll watch what we do. Before they listen to what we say, they will watch what we do. Okay? It's not a guilt trip. It is an opportunity. The world is watching. And in this way, it's easier than you make it to be. You don't have to go and do a bunch of things. God will bring you opportunities when he wants your life to bear witness. But know that your life speaks. And the world is watching. And there's tons of practical application in that. Like in our, in our, you know, I'm a, I'm a university student. I live in dorms. I've got roommates. You know, I, I'm post-college. You know, I'm in all over this journey. But every one of us in the room, the world is watching us. Not a guilt trip, an opportunity. The purpose of our life is to be witness to the God who saved us. Recently, I got... Uh, the chance to go on this golf trip, which uh, happened right after Easter, went down to Oregon. Uh, one of the guys I know pretty well from a, an old business that I ran, and he puts together this golf tournament, and 12 guys, and they invited me. It's down on the Oregon coast. It felt really, you know, it's just great to get out of Seattle. It's beautiful down there, and playing golf. And all these guys, you know, pretty wild. Like, you want to watch a bunch of guys just misbehaving, go to a golf tournament. I don't know what it is. It's like... You know, like brings out the worst in human nature. And we're like right at the beginning of the golf tournament. And the host is passing out all these flasks. Flasks, like little metal containers for alcohol, you know. So they're, and they're nice. Like these little flasks, these little screw top, like engraved. I'm like, those are pretty sweet. I was excited. I'm like, I'll have a flask. I'm not a huge drinker, but maybe I can send orange juice or water to my kid's school lunch in one of the flasks. <laughs> I mean, like, let's use this thing, right? So I'm excited. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty excited about getting a flask. And I get back to the room that night, and, and the host of the thing is like, oh, Scott, you know, I was like, because I asked, I'm like, Do I, you know, where's, where's my flask? You know, and he's like, oh, hey, good news. We got you a coffee cup instead of a flask. And I was really disappointed. I was. Because there's not even like a lid or anything, you know, and I was just kind of confused. And then later, I was thankful. I was thinking to God, I'm like, you know what? These guys know I'm a pastor, and you know something has happened where they respect my decisions. Now, hear me very carefully. It's not about the flask. It's not about the alcohol or not. Our worship leader, Brian at Bethany, he was teasing me. He's like, I've got nine flasks. You know? So it's not about the flask. It's not about the drinking. It's about your life as a witness, and the world is watching. It is. And so from there, we go into this third point. And guys, I, I mean, I could spend all night with this stuff because it's just so good. But God has a promise of a plan for our life. And we all want to go. We do. That's what makes us human. We want to go. We want our life to be useful and powerful. And I know everyone in this room has these questions about where and when. I need you just to trust me that when God wants you to move, he's going to make it pretty clear. 
Because Christ gives us a plan. He gives the, the disciples this. He says, you know, you'll, you'll be a witness. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem where they were right now and in Judea, which was next door, and Samaria, which had all sorts of connotation. Remember the good Samaritan? All sorts of racial reconciliation overtones because in the Old Testament, there's language about Samaria being the land of the half-breeds because of some intermarrying that had happened during a previous kingdom. So Jesus is kind of really upsetting the apple cart there. And Jesus is saying here, and he's going to say it a number of times in the book of Acts, I'm going to surprise you by who's in the story. I'm going to surprise you by how radical my love is. And even as you go to the ends of the earth, I'm going to surprise you because my plan is different than your plan. And my purpose is different than your purpose. And most certainly the potential for power is different than the world's. But my plan will surprise you because I want you to start where you're at and move out. The, the gospel moves out. Uh, to the ends of the earth. When you think about where we sit tonight at Green Lake, like 2,000 years ago, this was the end of the earth. And thankfully, someone believed enough in the gospel of Christ to, to be a witness. And then that little seed spread into Europe and spread into Africa and into Asia and then into North America. And I know the church has done some horrible things, but friends, it's also done some wonderful things. Because here we are on a beautiful sunny night in Seattle, Washington, in the year 2016, and God is still revealing himself to us. Because some people dared to go to the ends of the earth. They dared to, to be witness. It's always what God is calling us to do. But he says, start where you're at. Start in the location I've already put you. I mean, it's real easy after a winter like this to be like, yeah, I'll witness, but I'd be a much better witness in Maui instead of like 30 inches of rain in Seattle, right? I mean, who's been saying that last, you know? And, you know, I'll be, I would be a better witness if I was done with school, if I was married, if I wasn't married, if my marriage was different, if my children were different. We put conditions on how we would be, speak to God and how we would witness by our life. And Christ is saying, start where I've put you. Start here, start now, and push out from there. But if it doesn't start here in the recesses of our own heart and move out, we'll have stuff to say, but we'll have nothing we've seen. So Christ is calling us as people, start in the place that I've put you. I don't know if you've heard the story of the junction. It's a really cool story about what Bethany did. Bethany is a whole church because the whole church invested. We took the, the, this old strip club called Sugars on North Aurora, really kind of the epicenter of all that's wrong in Shoreline. It was that building. It's right next door to the methadone clinic or two doors down. There's all sorts of prostitution around it. It was a strip club. It continues to be a place where a lot of drug-addicted people are just trying to find their way. And we went looking for a place to, to hold worship services at Bethany North because we've grown a lot in five years. And God says, no, I, I, I'm going to do something different. And if you worry about Monday through Saturday, I'll worry about Sunday. And so we transformed the space. We literally got to smash the mirrors that used to hold women in prison. We got to set the captives free. We rented the building. We punched holes in it. And we created this coffee shop. And now it's our church offices and back. And from that place, we serve high school kids lunch every Monday. And then every Tuesday, we have this breakfast for methadone, methadone patients. It's this beautiful ministry. It really is. And there's this, this guy, Lindsay, who at the very beginning, he was hanging around. He kind of had this rough edge. Like, man, he's, he's kind of rough. You hang out with marginalized people, and some of you that are already on the edges, you, you know life has been rough to you. That's why you look rough, because it's been rough. You've been through hard stuff. So Lindsay just started to kind of hang out in our coffee shop, and, and I kind of got to know him a little bit. He's a little more reserved. And then he just started to clean the bathrooms for us about six months ago. We didn't ask him to do this. He's like, hey, this place has been really helpful for me. 
This junction place has been really helpful in my healing, in, in me staying clean, in me getting out of the shelter. This place has been great. You guys have opened your door to me, and I'd love to give back. And so he started to clean the bathrooms. And from cleaning the bathrooms, after a couple months, he became a better friend. And we're like, man, can we just hire you? Can we invest in you? And you can be part of our team. And he's like, yeah. And so now he, he cleans there. He actually works here at Green Lake. His story is amazing. I want him, in his own words, to share a little bit of the story of what has happened through the ministry of relationship from Bethany Community Church in his life. Let's take a look. Well, I guess you could say I first came into this building in about 1984. It was a strip joint. Um, so there's that. Now, the first time I came in in this century... Uh, would have been uh, the day it opened, I guess. I, uh, I was uh, going to the methadone clinic, which is two doors down, and uh, we saw that, uh, that there was remodeling going on and that there was going to be a coffee shop here, and I was wondering, are they even going to let us in? It was uh, a very pleasant surprise to realize that the attitude coming from all of the employees of the coffee shop, and then we found out it was also a church office, was just, uh, we want to love people. And, and very no, no judgment. And uh, I finally looked at him, I said, when I, when I hear you say that, I hear you say that my success is your success. He said, yeah. I said, well, you know, I'm getting goosebumps right now, actually. What could be better? I mean, I'm in the best possible position. I have this group of wonderful people around me that want me to see my success is their success. My happiness is their happiness. I mean, this is heaven. It's not heaven. It's a reclaim strip club turned coffee shop and experience relationship. And friends, we're, we're not there yet. When we get there, we'll know. At the end of our lives, we'll stand face to face with our Savior, and it will be beautiful. It will be worth every moment of, of our striving and our yearning. But God's not done with us here and now. And he's calling us to understand the fullness. I don't, I don't know what your next step might be. God is calling us to understand this, this promise of potential in our life, for more spirit, to be more spirit-led, and that we would have a purpose, an identity, and witness that our life would speak towards that which we believe in, who is Jesus Christ. And that we would trust the plan. That we would be pushing out to the ends of the earth, but it would start in our heart. And in the people that God brings tonight, tomorrow morning, Wednesday afternoon, next weekend. You understand what I'm saying? And we're not there yet. God is encouraging us to receive and step in to understand the fullness of the power he has for us. And it's beautiful. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for moments to open your scriptures and to be reminded of just how big your vision is for this world. And that how you surprise people then, you surprise us now by who's included in the good news. And how you call us to love people closest to us and those at the far margins of our society. Lord, we know that we're witness. We know our life speaks. And so encourage us to step in and step out and understand the fullness of your spirit's love in us. 
Lord, that we would see something. And then you'd give us the courage to say something so that our life would speak. But God, you've got this amazing call, call to action in us, broken vessels, lumps of clay, ragamuffins that we are, and you've called us sons, and you've called us daughters, and you've called us to receive the fullness of your spirit inside of us, and you've called us to to participate in that and to understand that our life has this this meaning beyond just the day-to-day drudgery in which we exist. So Lord, let us witness, and let us receive, and let us speak into whatever Jerusalem, Judea, or Samaria, or ends of the earth you're calling us In your great name we pray, amen. Tonight we get the opportunity to break bread as a community. We get to celebrate koinonia, fellowship, communion together. And then on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and, and just passed it around to his friends and said, this is my body, take and eat. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Drink for, from it, all of you, for forgiveness of sins. Friends, this table is open. It's not a Bethany thing or a membership thing. It's just if your heart is right with God and you're saying, you know, God, I want, to, I want you to be fully alive in me. I want that spirit to be activated within me. Come and receive and grab a cracker or a gluten-free cracker and know that this gift is for you and it's freely given. You didn't earn anything have the full ability to receive it. Let me pray over the elements now. Father, thank you so much. The gift of your son and his his death and life and resurrection. Lord, tonight we, we break bread and we drink the juice and we know that you're still alive. Lord, activate your spirit within us so that we might witness. In your name we pray. We're going to take communion counterclockwise Communion is available at all these stations in the lobby up top. The table is now open.